0: today on Broadway for Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018, I'm Broadway World's Matt Samanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, we have to start this show with the biggest news of Monday, and that is that Broadway Records has hired a new A&R rep, and that is none other than our friend Robbie Rizal. I don't exactly know what an A&R rep does. I watched the TV show, the Tom Cavanaugh-led TV show Love Monkey. Uh, yeah. Or he was an AR representative That's really the extent of my AR knowledge comes from. Um, uh, you know, so I don't really know what it does. I think it's kind of like, you know, you get people to make records for you, but it sounds like something that is perfect for Robbie. Um, I, I we wish him the best. I don't know what he does, but maybe sometime <laughs> next week when I'm in town, he can tell me. And hey, sounds like Broadway Records is, you know, in need of somebody to do Robbie's job. I don't know anything about photoshop but i would love to take robbie's job you know (laughs) robbie has like the coolest job in the world so
1: congratulations uh a&r is uh artists and and repertoire repertoire. yes that that doesn't help uh, it's the uh the 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 talent scout for the record label is spotting up and uh, you know identifying projects that they that should be uh recorded you know he's the he's the per, first person that is the uh is the goes to the record label and says hey uh this guy Matt Tamanini, he's, he's got a great voice let's uh, do a record no do not do that well, do not you know that's just a terrible as an example uh, Robbie okay. don't do that as your first first project <laughs> don't do that yeah all right so uh we love Robbie and uh i have to say that um, Robbie's status on, on Facebook has gotten more likes than I've ever seen before. Everybody loves Robbie. You cannot not
0: love Robbie Rizzo.
1: So I'm looking at it here. It got 715 likes and 185 comments. I don't
0: even I, know 715 people. Oh, Robbie! Like in
1: my yeah. life. I he's, he's Robbie a big deal. sees 715 people before breakfast, you know? That's you know, that's the way it is, all right, so first up in the news, uh study shows
0: Broadway League's household income stats are misleading yeah, yesterday well. This article is not something that I would normally pay attention to, other than the fact that the New York Times' Michael Paulson retweeted (laughs) it. And I understand that retweets are not necessarily endorsements, endorsements, but he didn't put that caveat on there. So if Michael Paulson is retweeting it, I'm going to read it. Um, And this article comes from a psychologist who Michael Paulson says is a statistical methods expert. I don't know where that. Differentiation comes from, but he's also a theater critic who runs the Utah Theater Bloggers Association, and his name is Russell Warren. Now, I say all that because I don't really know if this guy's an expert or not, but everything in here seems pretty logical to me on my very base level of statistical analysis, James. Anyway, the the numbers and statistics are way over my head. So, James, after I'm done kind of giving you the nuts and bolts, I'm going to defer to you because you have far more expertise in this than I do. But Russell Warren's argument is that when the Broadway League released its statistical data last week, which we talked about, uh, they said that, quote, the average annual household income of the Broadway theater goer was two hundred twenty two thousand one hundred twenty dollars. And while that might statistically be true and Warren was able to recreate their numbers and get pretty close to that. But he says that it's a poor representation of the majority of theater goers. Warren argues that using the median instead of the average income would be much uh, better to gauge who – The theater goer is, he said, "quote 56.6 percent of audience members have a household income less than one hundred fifty thousand dollars." James, that's about two thirds of the total that the that the league describes. And while one hundred fifty thousand dollars is still not anything to you know turn your nose up at, it is you know only 66% of what the league is saying. He had a ton of data and charts, so of course it must be true. It was on the internet. But as someone who understands statistics and money and pie charts much better than I do, James, what did you think of Russell Warren's article? If you sit next to Jordan Roth at the theater, you (laughs) you have an average
1: household income of, you know— Many millions of dollars. B- billions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. B- billions of counting, dollars. If you're counting Steve and Daryl, yeah. Well, the family the – f- total family income, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> um. Yeah, certainly the number to look at is the uh the median and not the mean. Which mean is the average and the median is, you know, the number of people that fall into the categories and certainly most of the people fall into that 0 to 100,000 range more than they do uh up above there and and you know just just like, you know, I do random searches on on uh, Google Chrome to throw off the uh, tracking engines, you know, (laughs) (laughs) when people come and ask me my annual income, I might answer $24,000 or I might answer $1 million, you know, depending on the show that I'm seeing in the day and how I feel and things like that, like it's none of your business. So uh, it's hard to understand how uh, these, the the primary data
0: is acquired here. Um, So I I think that. Sorry, yes. as I to say, Warren made about that. Warren made a point that the league does not give out the information as to how they acquired that information or how they made the determination. So he had to replicate it using what little information they did have. And he was able to recreate a lot of it, but not all of it. That's a very uh, important point that I think must be made. So I wanted to just, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to you just touch on the fact that you were. Uh, that was a very in, uh, important part of the article that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, and that, I'm glad you that you brought that up because that that is you know it, it's all about your data, you know, uh data in equals data out uh in, in a cleaned up version of that. <laughs> so you don't uh I think that this is headline grabbing and it's great for people like me and uh the sales folks at any um Broadway websites that would like to tell mm-hmm. their advertisers that the, the average uh, Broadway uh, goer earns $222,120 annually so uh, that they can get bigger advertising rates uh, on their sites and podcasts and videos and things like that. But, you know, it's it's all about, you know, wh- what it is. I... I I, I I I don't know this very confusing Utah theater bloggers uh, have, have we I think we've talked about them before haven't we
0: Why no it was it was it was Utah what it was was it was a professor at like Utah State who came up with an algorithm that he thought would predict whether a show would be successful or not I did check this is not the same person This is not the same No this is not the same person But that's the first thing that I thought of as well
1: Is this maybe a Russian bot? Uh, we're, we're getting trolled on. Uh, we're getting trolled <laughs> on Twitter by a Russian bot. I'm 99 percent sure. Did you see that? No, I did not. <laughs> we're getting trolled by a Russian bot. So, uh, so <laughs> anyway, <laughs>
0: not surprised. Yeah, yeah, but
1: it's on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> All right. Uh, next thing that's on the internet is last week's Broadway grosses. How were they?
0: Yeah, James, they were actually pretty good. Even though there were no new shows on Broadway last week, the fact that shows that were in previews continued to play more performances helped bump up Broadway grosses 2.87% to $34,344,693. Only five of Broadway's 33 shows last week saw week-over-week declines, and one of those was King Kong, whose odd preview schedule saw it decrease from six to five performances last week. To Come in with six hundred seventy-three thousand six hundred eighty-six dollars. If you divide that by the five performances, you will see that it is still grossing enough per show to have been on pace to eclipse one million dollars if it had done eight shows. Phantom also dipped a little more than fifty-three thousand dollars, and then the other three that saw declines last week were all less than $13,250. Actually, that's not true. Mean Girls was exactly $13,250. The other two were believed that, so they really weren't huge declines. Other than Springsteen on Broadway, which went from four to five performances, My Fair Lady was the biggest gainer of the week, as Lauren Ambrose concluded her run in the show. The Lincoln Center revival brought in almost $1,166,000, and of course... We would be remiss if we didn't wish the great Laura Benanti the best as she begins performances <laughs> as Eliza Doolittle her Dream Role on Broadway today. So congratulations to her. Hamilton, of course, was the cock of the walk as usual, with more than three million two hundred forty-eight thousand dollars. It was followed by The Boss at two point four million, The Lion King at two point two, and Harry Potter at just under two point one. Also above one million dollars were Wicked, Frozen, Dear Evan Hansen, Mean Girls, Aladdin, Pretty Woman, The Book of Mormon, My Fair Lady, Come From Away and Phantom. Interestingly enough, the eight shows with the lowest grosses last week all saw weekly numbers in the black. It wasn't until you got to King Kong, which we already explained had one less performance, and The Ferryman, which opened last night, so obviously was giving away a lot of comps, that you actually saw week-to-week dips, which is pretty interesting. Despite the modest bump that the nap had down at the very bottom of the scale, it was in at just over $210,000, followed closely by Head Over Heels at $252K, and then there was Torch Song at just under $259,000. Of course, one of my favorites, Beautiful continued its normal autumnal trajectory up more than $20K to just in At over $828,000, which I think is just awesome. And I love all the message board people who were sure it was gonna close in January. It still might, but it's not gonna go out with a whimper. Similarly, Anastasia and Waitress also saw increases of nearly 30,000. So folks predicting that the Sondheim, the Broadhurst, and the Atkinson would all be open in the spring might wanna slow their rolls. They might, some of them, all of them might be open, but they're all doing much better than people forecasted for the fall. Now, circle in the square, though, that's another topic, as once on this island, it did see a $3,000 increase, but was in at just about $433,000, another number that I'm not 100% sure Will be able to uh, sustain it through the winter. Now, James. Overall, those numbers were very good. Um, a, a little. I don't think that this is a time when we are starting to see fall breaks and people come in. But for the most part, despite the fact that we are still about a month away from the holiday season, Broadway had to be pretty happy with the grosses last week. So, a few things. Uh, what what was with the King Kong odd preview schedule?
1: Did uh, did they? Did they have a missed show because of a
0: malfunction of a gorilla? Not that I know of. I know there were some malfunctioning gorilla issues, but I don't believe that that was anything that they gave money back for. This was always their schedule to have only four performances last week. They've gone back and forth from like three to six to five, whatever it was. So this uh, is this was planned. It's just odd. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh so uh, next thing is, is uh, Laura Benanti starts in My Fair Lady. Did you see her on Colbert?
0: I did. Yes, I did. She, as as not Melania. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they actually got to talk to the actual Laura Benanti. She talked about My Fair Lady, of course, but also the um, album for um, Reuniting Families. Yeah. yeah so uh, uh, it was very nice. It's always fun to see her talking to Stephen as herself rather than just Melania. But, uh, but it was very nice. Yeah, uh, you know,
1: Stephen Colbert is a big Broadway fan. He really, uh, really supports when he can. And uh, beautiful, continue its normal autumnal trajectory. Such beautiful words you say as it falls up.
0: <laughs> yeah, as uh, it falls up. I
1: like as that. As it Very falls well, up. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, next up in the news, number three
0: is blank. So we'll go on to number four. Yes. Sorry. Okay, Matt, <laughs> what else do we have to talk about today? <laughs> uh, I, I was kept expecting some more news to come out, but it was a slow day. Uh-huh. So there was nothing there in the third okay. slide. But yes, okay. um, a few more stories before we get you into your deuce day. Uh, first up disappointing news out of the nation's capital it was it was announced at in oh, oh. James yeah. Monroe. I got oh, that. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. Not the normal disappointing news that comes from 16 Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, Yeah. James Monroe Iglehart has had to withdraw from the Kennedy Center's upcoming production of Little Shop of Horrors, quote, due to unforeseen circumstances unrelated to the production. Uh, I don't know if that's health related or got another gig that needed him immediately. I, I'm not sure, but that's disappointing. I know for uh, a lot of folks, he has been replaced by Michael James Leslie, who has history with the role of being the voice of Audrey too, something that he understudied in the Broadway revival about a decade and a half ago on Broadway. He also assumed the role when the show went out on tour. Also, I saw him as Judge Turpin in the Barrow Street production of Sweeney Todd earlier this year. Yeah. In great googly moogly was he good. So I have no doubt that uh, he will be fantastic stepping in. Um, listener Robert Stutman emailed us uh, yesterday morning, and he said that he has tickets. He was obviously uh, disappointed that Hart won't be in the show, but uh, I can I can't I can't imagine a world in which anybody will be disappointed with Leslie's performance. Now, moving on, last night, performances for Premier's Inner Voices 2018 began. This biennial, other every other year, uh, series features three intimate one-act solo musicals. This year, the shows are Scaffolding by Tony nominee Jeff Blumenkrantz, directed by Tony winner Victoria Clark, and starring Tony nominee Rebecca Luker, whom I will be talking to, James, you didn't know this, uh, on Wednesday. So we'll have an interview about this coming up in the feed sometime thereafter. The other two shows are The Costume by Daniel Zatchik uh, starring uh, young actor Finn Douglas and Window Treatment by Deborah Zoe Lauffer and Daniel Green. This one stars Farrah Alvin. Performances take place at TBG Main Stage Theater on 36th Street between 8th and 9th. If you'd like to purchase tickets or get more information, we'll have a link in the show notes. And finally, it was announced on Monday that Stephen King and John Mellencamp – will be reuniting to further develop their misbegotten musical Ghost Brothers of Darkland County, specifically for licensing purposes. Now, James, believe it or not, I actually saw this show maybe twice. I can't remember, but at least once, maybe twice, during its world premiere run in Atlanta in 2012, when it starred Shuler Hensley, Emily Skinner, Justin Guarini, and more, including some great Atlanta stage and screen talent. The show itself was pretty awful. Um, I mean... Who would have thought that (laughs) Stephen King's, you know, 15, 20,000 pages of prose uh, in a book wouldn't translate well to a stage show? You know, his TV and, and film adaptations are usually great because someone else is doing the adapting. But this was an original story written by Stephen King. It definitely needed a dramaturg to kind of form the show a little bit. But anyway, Broadway licensing released a statement saying that the newly revised version will be available for productions worldwide in 2019. Now, I I think it could be a really interesting thing for some regional theaters to uh to do this show. It's a big cast and uh it's it's something that's very different. So, uh, you know, it okay, whatever, I guess. Well, you know, not my cup of tea, but that's fine. Um, if you'd like information on any or all of these stories, please check out the show notes at broadwayradio.com. Do you think they'll have a talk back after a Stephen King show? Um I I don't know. I actually saw Stephen King at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta before the the show started, like at the season preview thing. Mm. And he said people always ask him what scares him. Yeah. And he said this, getting up and talking in front of people. So (laughs) if there are any talkbacks, I doubt that Stephen King will be there. Okay, so it would just be misery for him. All
1: right. Uh, Why don't you
0: get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com.
1: Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. Uh, Rob, get to work. We're in your ears and we appreciate that. And Matt and I will be back and talk with you tomorrow.